Um, we're going to jump into things this evening. I'm so excited to be with you. Uh, I was not here uh, last weekend, but I heard that I missed a pretty amazing Sunday. I was down um, at, uh, at Bridgetown, which is the church that actually helped us plant uh, in Portland, and I got to, I got to preach there um, in the morning and the evening, and it was a little bit like a homecoming for me, so I'm um, sorry to have missed what happened last week, but uh, man, it was really sweet for me to go back and to see my old friends and to be in a place that helped kind of raise me as a follower of Jesus, so... Um, but as I was uh, thinking about, as I was away, and anytime you visit another church and you get into another family, you see like, you see what your family maybe lacks. You're like, oh, I, I think we should think more about that. But you also see what you really appreciate about your own family. You see what you love about the people that you get to do life with. And, and, and can I just say, I just love you guys. I, I know I don't know a good number of you, but um, those who I do know, and, and from what I can tell, uh, you guys are passionate about Jesus, you're passionate about his presence. And uh, I, I just walked away from last week thinking, it's fun to visit other churches, but I can't wait to be back home with my Saints Hill family. I'm just sensing a deep hunger for the things of God and a deep hunger to see God do more than what you may have seen him done in the past. And Jesus said these words. He says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. So if you're hungry, Get ready to get filled, okay? It's going to happen. Um, what I, what I want to do this evening is I want to start our yearly vision series. Um, we're going to be heading into a brand new series for the in the fall, and it's going to take us uh, like a year. It's going to be a long series. We'll have some breaks in between, but we have a, a big, long series coming up. But before we do that, what I want to do is I want to take uh, just the next three weeks of September to come back to our foundation, to reiterate our vision, what are we about as Saints Hill Church, and to put more of a focus on just one of our 10 core values. So um, specifically next week, we're going to be talking about uh, core value number four, which is this. We have the privilege of hosting the Father's presence. That's our fourth core value. We have the privilege of hosting the Father's presence. Then uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be having a panel discussion up here with some of our uh, leadership team with Andoni, his wife, myself, um, uh, my wife, Jake and Becky, um, Jim and Kathy, Bria will be up here with us. And uh, what would be helpful is if, as we're going throughout this series, if you could email any question you have about our church, about maybe the things that we believe, what we align with, about our vision, if you could email those in. So I think we have another slide right here, yeah, so maybe take a photo of that or jot, jot that email down, and as I'm talking, as I'm sharing this week, next week, uh, just, or throughout the week, just write down any question you have and send it in. Anything that you want to know more about, maybe we said something, you're like, mm, what does that mean? Or, wow, I've never heard that before, I want to know more about that, go ahead and email that in. Uh, we'll do our best to kind of sift through those questions, and we'll get to what we get to in a couple of weeks. Sound good? Yes, awesome. Okay, so turning your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. For this evening, we're going to be in the book of Joshua. I just uh, read through the book of Joshua, and uh, it is um, pretty incredible. It's dense, it's challenging, uh, but we're going to read a um, portion of the book that deals with the story of Israel right as they're coming out of the wilderness and as they're going in <clears throat> to the promised land. So, Right before they enter the promised land, that's where we're going to pick up the story in Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, 
When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, if you remember, wilderness is on one side of the Jordan, the promised land is on the other side of the Jordan. When they had finished crossing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of Israel to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Joshua was the kind of leader who had the same heart that his leader, Moses, had. This is an excerpt from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Moses speaking to uh, the Israelites. He said this, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. In other words, as we've gone through the wilderness, as we've been through trials and you've seen me move, you've seen God move, don't forget. Don't forget. Tell them to your children. Here's the point of these two passages together. Next slide. Our future faith in many ways rests on our ability to remember. Our future faith, the faith we have for the future, in many ways rests on my ability to remember what God has done in my past, to not forget about how I've seen him show up, to make sure that I have the memorial of stones and when I walk past them and my children ask me, what, what are those stones about? I remember the story. I remember exactly what took place. You see, our courage to do the next thing, to have that conversation, to pray for that specific thing, that person, to step out and start the business, to take that leap of faith, must be informed by what I've seen God do in my past. Sometimes we talk about blind faith, right? Faith isn't blind, faith stands on the peace that I received in the last storm when I sensed his presence. Faith isn't blind, it stands on the scriptures that I've filled my heart with every day. Faith is not blind, it stands on the testimonies of healing and breakthrough that I hear from my friends and from this family. The informed part of faith is the memory of God in our past. The informed part of our faith is our ability to remember what God has done in our past. My wife, uh, she, she says this often. She says, living in fear is choosing to imagine the future without God in it. <laughs> living in fear, 
well, what's going to happen there? What's going to happen there? What if I do this? What if this happens? All of the what ifs, living in fear, is choosing to imagine your future without God in it. So we need stones in our lives. We need memorials in our lives. We need things that help us to remember what God has done in the past, right? I have a few things uh, like this in my office. I have a um, sculpture of a sheep. And uh, I, I got this, I think I got this sheep off of like Rakuten. It's like this Asian marketplace online. I couldn't find this, the thing I was looking for anywhere. This is probably like five or six years ago now. But I bought this sheep um, because we needed it to like do some branding for a series we were doing for the young adults at uh, Bridgetown. I was the young adult pastor at the time. And so we, we bought this, this ceramic sheep and we took photos of it and used it for this branding. And I thought, oh, you know, what do I need this sheep for any, you know, anymore? To the goodwill pile you go. And my wife was like, well, maybe you would want to keep that to help you remember of this season. And so I did. I kept it. It's up on my bookshelf. And every time I look at it, I remember what God did in that season of my life, what he was speaking, how he moved, what he taught me, the people that came into my life. It was the season that I met Jake and, and Becky. And uh, it stands as a symbol for me to remember. I have, um, I, I love art. I have another um, uh, sculpture of two feet. They're like cast iron or something. They're metal. And they're these, this really detailed sculpture of two feet. And um, I got it about a year ago when we were uh, beginning to kind of put the foundations in place for what we would uh, one day call Saints Hill when we were thinking about what are our beliefs? What do we really value? What are the, when we look at the scriptures and we think about the gospel, what do we want to put our feet upon solidly. And I got it as a reminder to me to, um, d to not allow the fear of man or what culture may be saying to come in and to dictate what I believe, to put my feet solidly on the truth. Some of us, uh, some of my friends um, who helped lead the high school ministry that we had, I was a high school pastor, so when we're getting the high school group started, I'm like so excited about it. It's going to be amazing. Um, but some of my friends who helped me lead the high school ministry in, um, in, in Portland, they have tattoos, matching tattoos that all, that's a very Portland thing, right? They have matching tattoos that are, are reminiscent of that season and what God taught us in that season. See, see the reality is that when we have things that, prophesy over us about what God intends to do because of what he's done in the past, we remind ourselves that we don't live from deficit. We live from a surplus. We live from a cloud of witnesses, whether those things be physical things or people or stories. And it's important for us as a church to pause. You know, we've almost been a church for a year, and it's important for us to pause and to actually take stock of what God has done, to remember what he's done, what he's spoken, to, to actually look to the, those memorials that we have that prophesy about what his intentions are again. So every year, we're going to do this. We're going to do a vision series, and every year, I want us to be the kind of church that dreams about the next year with God in it. Because of what God has done in the past, when we think about the next year, we don't go, oh my gosh, what if this doesn't happen, or, or, or what if this happens, or we just go, no, 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 I, I have stories of what God has done, and so I'm confident looking into the next year. So especially for those of you who are new, um, what I want to do, it's kind of a, I don't know if this is even really a sermon, it's, it's more just like me sharing with you guys about our, our past, our history as a church, um, but what I want to do is I want to revisit some of our history as a church. Have you guys ever read, um, I, I love reading like uh, 
revival history or biographies about um, past revivalists like, you know, Jonathan Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, um, Charles Spurgeon, you know, just these, these giants of the faith. Have you guys ever read a story about people who have seen God move powerfully in the past and you've thought, man, it must have been amazing to be alive then. You ever done that? You ever read a story and thought, oh, but yeah, that's incredible, but those people must have been just so anointed. Well, what makes them different than you? What if this is an amazing time to be alive? What if we look back 10 years from now and we think, man, God so moved with this group of people? One of our prayers as a staff is, God, do it again in our time and in our place. What makes them different than us? So here's what I want to do. I want to actually tell the story of St. Hill, how we came to be uh, a church. Some of you guys, this is going to be pretty dang familiar to you. Some of you, this will be brand new information. Um, so I, I was a, a pastor at Bridgetown Church. That's the church that helped us plant this one. And um, when I first, I, I, I had gotten right out of college, 2012, right out of George Fox, and I had started working as uh, John Mark's assistant. He's the pastor of that church. And uh, basically, my job was answering emails and booking plane tickets and driving him to the airport. That was my job. And uh, all the way back then, I remember John Mark being like, one day you're going to plant a church. And, and I was like, really? That sounds terrifying. I'm not sure that I'm in the whole planting mode. How about I just stick around here? Things seem pretty safe. You got things under control. And uh, uh, we'll just call it good, right? Um, but that desire actually it planted in me. It kind of grew over time. I thought, you know, I really do want to be a part of a scrappy young church coming together, seeing God's uh, vision and kingdom come to bear on a community. And uh, what ended up happening was over time, uh, the, the first few years while working at, uh, in the church and, and getting a paycheck from the church and all of the weirdness that comes from working in a church, it's weird. Can we be honest? Like, Pastors are weird, and so after all of that, I found myself getting to this place where I had almost sacrificed my relationship with God in order to just know a lot of things about God. I got to this place where I was like, okay, being a, like, you know, I'm learning. I'm just like a young man. I'm like, okay, so being a pastor means you're the smartest guy in the room, so I guess I just need to know you know, a bunch of stuff about the gospel, right? And so I'm gonna read a bunch of books and I would, I would track my reading and in my journals I would mark, I would write down how many books I read that year and, and I was really like trying to like, okay, I, I got, if I'm gonna be a pastor, I can only pastor people that I'm smarter than. So that's gonna be pretty hard because I'm smarter than no one right now and so I'm gonna have to read a bunch, right? And how many of you guys understand that you can think that you know him by knowing about him but you can lack actual heart connection? And so I found myself just in this place of like, my faith was kind of shriveled. I'm like, I don't know if I trust you, I just know a bunch about the Bible, basically. And I wasn't satisfied with that. I wasn't satisfied with that. I knew that if I was to plant a church, whatever church that I was a part of, uh, whatever was in me was going to come out of me and become the culture in that church. And I thought, I do not want to give away what I have in here right now. So I was waiting for God to do something to me. 
um, this is probably three or four years ago. I was just waiting. I, I had I'd met Jake, and, and we were having conversations, and he was challenging me. And I was about to meet Andoni and Lorna, who radically changed my life forever. Um, and I was just kind of like, okay, God, I know that you're out there, but I don't know if I can really trust you. And two major things happened that really I don't know that we would have this church if these two things hadn't happened in my life. Um, the, the first was this. We took a youth ministry trip with our high school students to uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Evan, you were there. Um, we take this trip to Coeur d'Alene, and uh, I will never forget playing capture the flag with you, Evan. Well, we, <laughs> do you remember this? We, um, instead of playing capture the flag with a flag, like you do, uh, we bought these really sharp king crab legs. And those were our flags. Because they were out of fish. We were going to play capture the flag with two fish, but they had crab legs. So we're like, okay, we're going to use the crab legs. And I remember there was this one moment, somebody threw the crab leg to Evan to like score. And Evan was just like, he's like, you could just see in his face, he's thinking, I should not catch this. I shouldn't catch this. And he just reaches up and he's like, and it just completely like, like he was bleeding. The crab leg (laughs) fell out of his hand. It was just horrible. Um, but, but what happened on this trip for me was that I realized that what it means to be a part of a church is to be a part of a family. And that in a family, you don't have to perform to get love. And what I was doing was I thought that what it meant to be in the church was that I had to be some kind of like smart person in order to be loved by the church. But the reality was totally the opposite. I was a part of a family. It was my job to take the love I got from my father and to give it away to others so that they could understand his love as well. It just radically changed the way that I thought about things. I think I really, for the first time, experienced God's love. I I remember this one night just going, I have had it backwards for so long. This is my first love. How did I forget? The second thing that happened was actually that same year um, in the fall, we took a young adult trip. I was also the young adult pastor at the same time. Wouldn't recommend it. Um, And I... I remember, um, how many of you guys have been to pre-gathering prayer before? Just by a show of hands, a few of you guys. We have pre-gathering prayer every single Sunday, uh, four o'clock down in the youth room, and uh, Waza, one of our leaders around here, he came to this trip and he led worship, and it was like the Holy Spirit came. I think we even have a picture of this house. So there's the house, it's on Devil's Lake, what the enemy meant for evil, you know, God used for good. Anyway, um, so... We stayed at this house as a young adult trip, and I remember we'd, we stayed up. Some people stayed up till like 3 a.m., because you got, yeah, there, two people got married because of this trip, so Brandon, Austin over there, yeah, or like, yeah, four people got married, two couples, because of the trip, and uh, uh, Waza and Molly, they also just got married a couple weeks ago, but they met on this trip as well. Very, very fruitful trip, guys. Um, <laughs> But I remember just like staying up late, going deep with the Lord, and then in the mornings, we're like, who wants to get up at 7 a.m. and just worship? And like, it was everybody. I was like, whoa, I don't think we've sensed this kind of hunger before, and the Holy Spirit came in such a powerful way that I think we just, from that point forward, we're like, we will make whatever we do about his presence and nothing more than that. It's just about his presence. Um, so, so once that, that happened and, and God began to, he began to love me and I sensed it and he began to show me his presence and the power of his presence and I began to walk in that I knew, okay, God, now we just need a people in a place. Well, where should we go? What should, what should we do? Give us a place, give us a group of people and do again what you've done uh, here. 
Um, now, I know that I've shared this story before, but uh, a couple, I think a, almost a year, I think a year goes by of just this, this deep hunger of like, God, where should we go? And we tossed around all kinds of ideas. I remember we're like, maybe we'll go to Brooklyn. And I'm like, God, no. Um, and maybe like, then the other option was Berkeley. I'm like, really? No. Um, I'll visit those places any day. Just don't want to live there. So, but I'm like, I will go wherever you want me to go. The last place I thought was Newburgh, okay? I'm just gonna get it out there. I did not think we were planting a church here. But I remember my, my wife and I, we used to joke, um, and we, we loved wine, and we'd come out here, and this was kind of like a little secret getaway that we had from the city. And uh, I remember, uh, I came home from youth one night, and I said to Emily, I was frustrated, I go, I, I just don't know where we're supposed to go. Like, I don't know what we're supposed to do. And we had always joked, like, wouldn't it be funny if someday, I went to George Fox, so I was familiar with the area, wouldn't it be funny if we retired in Newburgh someday? Like, this is a great place to be old. You could hang out, drink wine, you know, there's, there's students around, maybe you have interesting conversations with them here and there, maybe, maybe, maybe Fox would let me back in, I could like adjunct a class or something like that, and, and all of that. And I remember Emily just being like, well, maybe we're supposed to go to Newburgh sooner than we thought. And it was like in that moment, just peace, just like, oh, duh. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. And it was just like the presence of God was just on that. He was like, I'm leading you, Alex, to Newburgh. You're not telling me where you're going. Here's where we're going. And I was just so excited. I was like, oh, okay, I have so much vision. I remember that night, I, I like couldn't sleep. I stayed up and I have a little journal next to my bed. I always keep there in case I have a, a wacky idea in the night. I'm like, I gotta write that down. You ever seen that Seinfeld where Jerry writes down a joke and he, he like can't decipher it in the morning? He's like, I don't, it was so funny, I can't remember. That's, that's what I do. So, but anyway, I, I remember I, I just had all these ideas. Well, the next day, providentially, I think, uh, my wife and I were going down to Reading to visit Jake and Becky where they were living. And that whole flight of that plane, I remember just getting insight and vision and just having all these ideas. Some of the first, what I believe, prophetic words over this church kind of happened in that season. It just so happened that Andoni and Lorna were also visiting some friends in Reading. And so we all connected. I remember telling you guys, I remember I told Jake and Becky, and they're like, great, we're in. And then I told Andoni, he's like, where's Newburgh? I don't know, guys. And so... Um, and I, I just remember, that was such a sweet, sweet time um, of com coming together, the Lord really building a team, building a family, and kind of what would become the core um, of our church. And then I, I remember a few months after that, we had to pick a name. You have to pick a name for a church. It's kind of an awkward thing. You're like, could we just call it church? Or like, do we, you know, you get, I was like, I don't want to get creative. I don't want to be like, you know, it's the zone in Newburgh or something like that. I'm like, no, like. I have like an early 2000s hangover from the church, like no. So um, I remember we went back and forth with all these names. There was like, there was an, <laughs> for the first time ever, here's some of our names. Uh, there was King's Chapel. We thought, oh, maybe we'll call it King's Chapel. And uh, it ended up there was already King's Chapels all over. It was like a, a franchised like church all over the United States. Oh, we can't do that. And then it was like, well, maybe we'll do like Vine Hill because we loved, you know, the symbolism of the vine and the place where we live and and all that, but it's like, no, that's, that's not quite it. And I remember there was this one night where we were all sitting around at our, we lived in a basement at that time, and our friends thankfully came over to our basement, and um, I guess it was the summer, so we, it felt like air conditioning, it was nice. So we're all in the basement, and we're just like, we want it to be ancient, but we want it to communicate like some of our core values of who we are. And uh, so we're like, we want it to incorporate the name saints. 
If you guys um, don't know, Paul begins a few of his letters in the New Testament to the saints in such and such city, to the saints here, to the saints there. And so we wanted to incorporate that, that this idea that our identity is in Christ. We're saints, not sinners. We're not sinners saved by grace. We were sinners who became saints, and now we, don't, we no longer have the sin past. We actually, our past has been redeemed by Christ, and now we get to walk in freedom. And so we love that idea. And, and the other, uh, other thing that we wanted was, I love this idea of the hill of the Lord, there being a place where we could go meet with God. So then we um, kind of picked the name, and we picked this branding and everything. And I kind of want to explain this just a little bit to you uh, this evening. So um, what, what, what you have there is you have a hill. It's, it's, some people thought, they're like, is that a thumbprint? Is it like the AT&T symbol? No. <laughs> so you, you have this hill, and... Um, there's this idea in Celtic theology um, that there are certain places in the world that are thin, that are thin spaces between where, where the, the border between heaven and earth grows thin. And I loved this idea of there being the hill of the Lord, the, the place where the Israelites were invited up to commune with God. There was a thin space to meet with God. And that we would be the saints, that our church would be the saints that would take a hold of our identity, take a hold of what God has said to be true about us. We'd walk up the hill and we would meet with God in the thin space. And so that's what's represented here is that line above the, the mountain uh, coming down, heaven coming down uh, on earth. And uh, so, so we just, we just kind of, we, we, we picked the name and, and it seemed to so fit for uh, who we are. And then we started our monthly gatherings. How many of you guys came to the monthly gatherings? Do you guys remember this? So we started our monthly gatherings. Can, thank you for being, you're still here. That's amazing, actually. Um, but we started monthly gatherings. This was one of our uh, first monthly gatherings in uh, George Fox. How many of you guys have had a class in this room before? Yeah, okay. So... <laughs> We had a class in this room as well. So, um, but that was one of our first gatherings. It was just like maybe 50 people or so, and we jammed into this classroom in uh, George Fox. And, and how many of you guys remember the armory? Does it, was anybody there for the armory days? So from here, we went to the armory, and uh, Jake lovingly dubbed the armory the uh, prison cafeteria. And so we were in the prison cafeteria for a while. And uh, about a year ago, we had our very first Saints Hill gathering in this building, and the church has grown, there's new faces, uh, and this past year, God has led us in so many ways to invest in his presence, to take hold of our identity of what it means to be in Christ, and uh, to really found this family on our 10 core values on values of the kingdom. If you're new to the story, we've really built this church upon 10 core values, and I think we have um, these up here, so I'm just gonna read through these real fast. If you don't know these, uh, we have, I think we still have bookmarks. Do we have bookmarks out there on the, a few of them, maybe? Anyway, we will soon have bookmarks that have all 10 core values on them, but these are our 10 core values. God is good. We start there. All theology begins from that point forward. God is a good God. Number two, the scriptures are authoritative and they tell us the truth that brings freedom. Number three, Jesus is Lord. Number four, we have the privilege of hosting the Father's presence. Number five, nothing is impossible. We live under open heavens and healing is for today. Number six, we are the righteousness of God. I shared that with a, a buddy today and he's like, sounds a little heretical. And I was like, it does, except for the fact that Paul said it. Jesus became sin so that we could become his righteousness right there in the scriptures. Number seven, we're a people filled with hope and joy. Number eight, we celebrate every person by creating an environment of honor. 
Number nine, the church is a family that builds families. And number 10, we have the privilege of leaving a legacy of heaven coming to earth to the next generation. So we've built our church, our family, upon these 10 core values. And if you haven't listened, we have teachings for each one of those values. If you haven't listened to them, go to our website, go to Apple Podcasts or whatever, whatever podcast app you use, and you can find our podcast on there. They're the first 12 teachings that we did about a year ago. Now, our hope was to build a church that was grounded and rooted in truth, in these values, but also that our values would give people incredible room to be who they are. That would, it would actually give people freedom to agree on the values, to come and center yourselves around the values, but to be whoever God made you to be here in our church. So, so we didn't want to create just church values and have those be our values like, at our church, we always teach verse by verse. Well, sometimes we will, sometimes we won't, but that's a value that can only happen within this room, Right? We didn't want to be a a church that had only church values, like we're the kind of church that does community groups. That's a great value, but we wanted kingdom values, which means that our gatherings, the way that we do church, what you're experiencing right now, could change at any moment, while our core values remain the same. More importantly, while the kingdom includes the church, the church is a part of the kingdom of God, The kingdom of heaven is everywhere, not just when the people of God gather on a Sunday. Kingdom values can be put into any situation and cause heaven to come. So our interest in getting these 10 core values was to give, to not only have values as a church, but to give you values to take into your environment in the home. God, we want your presence to be here over the strife that we're experiencing in our home. Hosting his presence. In the workplace, God, I'm going to honor people by giving them a bit, the ability to take responsibility for their choices in my workplace. Rather than trying to control people, I'm gonna celebrate every person I work with by creating a culture of honor. That's why we have one, that as one of our values. In your dorm room, the belief nothing is impossible. Value number five, imagine what we could see this year in our dorm room. So we wanted to create 10 values, come up with 10 values that could be brought into any of your situations and actually cause those situations to look more like heaven because church is a family. This church is a family. You may not know the people that you're sitting around, but we hope that changes over the coming weeks and months and years. Church is a family and every family has a culture. And the question that you should be asking yourself if you're new or visiting our church is, are these 10 core values the kind of values that I want in my life? Because just to be honest with you, success for us doesn't look like our church becoming big or anything like that. Success for us looks like you seeing these 10 core values in your life. We want our church family culture to become your culture. So is this the kind of culture that I want in my home? You should be asking that question. We're looking for agreement on these non-negotiables, these 10 core values, but then freedom everywhere else. In order for you to be a blessing to this family, we need you to bring what others cannot bring to the table. Are you passionate about a specific thing? Great. We're gonna do our best as leaders to empower you to build something with these kingdom values in it. Do you wanna see our church step into something Awesome, build a relationship with us, show us that you're family first, and then let's get after that specific thing together. Everything we do runs on the lines of relationship and on the lines of those 10 core values.
Now, especially as we grow, we feel the need to give some level of definition to this family. So I want to show you something that we've been working on for about six months, a lot of thinking and talking. It's nothing too revolutionary, but it's something that I think is going to give shape or at least a framework for what it means to be a disciple here in this family, and that's this. The one, the few, the company, the many. The one, the few. You're like, what are you talking about? The company, the many. This is language that we got from a church called Trinity Church in Nottingham, England. Um, my buddy, uh, Bo Brumley, if you're listening, Bo, thank you. Uh, Bo works with them, and uh, their head pastor, Johnny Hughes, is a friend of ours, uh, would come to Bridgetown every now and then, and has just a dear, been a dear help to me personally in understanding the love of God and the Holy Spirit. Um, but because we're not an event and we're a family, we notice that families have four rhythms, Four different spaces where family takes place. There's personal responsibility in every family, right? You have a list of chores that you need to do, and you personally are responsible for those chores. When you do something in your family, right or wrong, you get credit. It's personal responsibility. And so this is the one. There's personal responsibility in every family, and there's personal responsibility in this family, There's also, within every family, there's conversations one-on-one with one other person in the family or maybe a couple other people in the family. My mom and I, we get lunch like once every month or so, and uh, we sit down for a couple hours and we have an intimate conversation about how life is going, what she's thinking about, about the church, all sorts of different things. So that's the few. There's, There's a space for the few in every family. There's also um, the company. It's when the family gets together for family dinner. You're all sitting around a table, having conversation, hanging out, laughing, joking. It's the space of the few. And then there's the many, family reunions, right? It's like getting the whole family together and having a big gathering. We're gonna be talking about this framework and explaining it more as we go on this next year. Um, But essentially, what this framework is intended to do is to give shape for what it looks like to be a disciple here at Saints Hill. So I think we have a little graphic of this, and maybe you wanna snap a little photo of it, but hopefully this will help explain in a little bit more detail what this means for us. So the one, it's taking personal responsibility for your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is nobody else's responsibility but yours. Many people will uh, complain about the church, not our church, but other churches, and they'll say, oh, I just never got fed at that church. I just didn't feel like I was really known or pastored. It is first and foremost your responsibility to make sure that every day you're meeting with your pastor, with Jesus. That every day you're being shepherded by the true shepherd. Are you doing that? So this is a life of personal devotion. It's reading the scriptures. It's prayer. It's the spiritual disciplines. If you are at all interested in spiritual disciplines, Bridgetown is leading the way in those. They have a whole website called practicingtheway.org. And on that website, you can find different disciplines that Jesus had in his life and actual curriculum to walk you and your friends through it in your life. Um, It's baptism. Have you been baptized before? Part of following Jesus is to be baptized. We read all throughout the the book of Acts that those who believed in Jesus were baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit underwater. And just like Jesus died and went into the ground and came up out of the ground in resurrection, the same is on offer to you. It's giving. Do you give? You're not exempt because you're a college student. You're not exempt from the character of Christ because you're, you're in school. 
Jesus was generous, and it's, it, it, every single one of us has expected the same thing, that we would be generous. It's not just giving to our church. I, I frankly don't care. It's giving to those around you. Do you have a heart of generosity? Oftentimes what we do is we go, oh, well, I'm in this life stage, and so it exempts me from experiencing the blessing that God has for me walking hand in hand with a creative father who is intent on blessing the people around me. It's our responsibility to do that same thing. That's the one. It's the few. Um, do life with people you can have intimate conversations and accountability with. We're not gonna put a number on this, but do you have people in your life, are you, Jake put this so brilliantly at our staff meeting this last week. Do you, do you fill your schedule with people who can fill you up and who you can fill up? Do you fill your schedule with people who fill you up and who you can fill up? And that's the question of the few. Is there a space for that in your life? Now, this word accountability traditionally in the church has been this idea of keep, making sure people don't do bad things. Have you ever been in an accountability group and it's like, hey, did any of you guys sin this week? This is maybe just me. Did anybody, any, any of you guys sin this week? Okay, make sure you don't do that next week. We mean something pretty differently by accountability. What we mean by this is you are called to give an account for your ability what has God given you? What has he spoken over you? What ability do you have? You are now invited into a relationship with others where they can ask you, give an account for your ability. Give an account for the dreams on your life. Give an account for what God has spoken about you. That's the few. Then there's the company. Um, have fun, eat meals, and find your people. We are gonna continue to have events in our church, like last week's event, where you come together and you meet people from the church. We shrink this large gathering down into smaller, bite-sized gatherings so that you can meet other people in the church and you can find people who maybe could be a part of the few for you. So um, this happens on serve teams. That's obviously a great place to get started. Do you, not, you don't know anybody in the church? Great, join a serve team. Get underneath one of our deacons, and you're going to meet people who you could do life with. We have home Sundays. Uh, we did that once. How many of you guys were at the home Sundays uh, over the summer? A few of you. Um, great. We, we took a whole Sunday off, and we went to people's homes throughout Newburgh, and we had a meal there because the church is family. Um, we're going to be doing, we have, you know, women's events. We're going to be doing these things called culture classes. We have one coming up in October that basically is a, there are going to be classes on Sundays talking about what we do as a church, what our heart is, focusing in on different uh, specific one, um, specific values and, and taking more time to, to think about those. Uh, and then we'll have some affinity events. Like you like fishing, Jim Trout's going to take the whole church on his boat out and go fishing, right? I remember you saying something about that. Um, but we're going to have just different uh, events happening. When those events come up, jump in, join those events. And then lastly, the many, which are, this is the many, right? The Sunday gathering, all church events. Now, let me just say, you don't have to fit into this structure specifically, but we've seen in our own lives that we thrive when we take personal responsibility for our submission to the king, when we make time in our schedules to be filled by other disciples and to pour ourselves into them, when we participate in family events happening in and around the church, and when we come to the family reunion every Sunday, we see ourselves thrive. We're not asking you to do any of this stuff. We're helping those who want a discipleship framework to work from to know where to start. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? Hopefully that's helpful for many of you guys as you're trying to figure out what is this church all about. Now, here's why. Why do we do this? Um, the Methodists, Jonathan Wesley and his crew, were famous for having this phrase. 
we're organized to beat the devil. Isn't that a great phrase? We're organized to beat the devil. And uh, I, I love that. I think for Saints Hill, we would say, we're organizing ourselves to take hold of our prophetic inheritance. We're organizing ourselves to take hold of what God has spoken about our church, about us as individuals. As a family, we want to live into our prophetic inheritance. Every family has an inheritance that is material. It's wealth or debt, okay? Your parents are going to leave you wealth or they're going to leave you debt. You're going to leave your kids wealth or you're going to leave them debt. Um, but every family also has an immaterial inheritance as well, thought patterns. What was hosted in your home spiritually, emotionally, when you were raised there? What your last name carries with it, what it means, honor or dishonor? Now, um, we believe that we have the mind of Christ. It's not just our thought. It's from the scriptures in 1 Corinthians that it says that we have God's mind. In other words, we, sometimes God's thoughts are mingled with our thoughts. And what that means practically is that there are times where God may give people around us thoughts about us. Yeah, how many of you guys have ever been reading a passage of scripture and you've thought of somebody when you read it? Anybody? Show of hands. Okay, every single one of you is a prophet. What that is, is it's, here's what God has spoken, and I need to share it with you because it may be timely for the situation that you find yourself in right now. Now, we have like a hundred plus, maybe a couple hundred different thoughts that people have shared with us about this church, and we've written them down, we've put them into a, doc, into a document, and we have thought about them, we've meditated on them, we've chewed on them. Is this from the Lord? Is this not from the Lord? Does it line up with scripture? It will always line up with scripture, or does it not? And so I just wanna share a few of these to end, to share what the prophetic inheritance is of this church. Um, so I think we're gonna skip a couple slides. Uh, go to slide 18. This is the first one. Um, God is laying up a garment of praise for heaviness over our valley. This is the first word that we ever got over our church. And what this is, it's directly from a passage in scripture in Isaiah chapter 61. And what it is saying is that God is actually exchanging heaviness, where people may feel depression, heaviness in this valley. He's gonna exchange that for praise. And I think we've actually seen that happen in this church. I want that. I want more of it. Next one. Um, every person who enters these doors would experience the love and joy of God. How many of you have come to this church and you've experienced God's love? Just like a show of hands, you've tasted his love. How many of you have, have tasted more joy than you've ever tasted before here? I, I, that's been the case for me. Um, that's what happens when you host the presence of God. He's a God of love, and in his presence, there's fullness of joy. So we want to we organize ourselves to actually have that happen every single Sunday. Next one, um, pray, believe, and receive in all things. This was something, this was a word given uh, by one of you. Um, this is God's ask for every, for every person, that if we say yes, yes, prayer is worth our time. Yes, God, you will move again. Yes, I am willing to follow you, Jesus, that we're going to have our minds blown with what we receive from his hand from this point on. And so I think that's for our church, that we'd be the people of the yes. Lastly, this is a word from um, Jamie Winship, who came, some of you were probably here when Jamie Winship spoke, and he gave us this word that you guys are pioneers digging new wells of revival and opening old wells of revival in the same way that Jesus, that was such a beautiful word, Hannah, wherever you're at, um, in the same way that Jesus said, come to me and drink if you're thirsty, it'll make rivers of living water flow out of you. God is 
interested in us actually finding a new source of living water here in Newburgh and giving it away to those who live around us. And at the same time, he's interested in us going to old sources, old wells that maybe have had the lid put on them and to open them up again, to pioneer again and to say, okay, you actually are a source of wisdom, a source of life. Pour yourself out on this community and on this church. Here's the invitation for every single one of you. You find your destiny by finding your people. You don't know what your destiny is. You haven't found your people yet. You find your destiny by finding your people. So maybe this could be the family where you grow up. Maybe this could be the inheritance that you were made to take hold of here in our valley. Maybe you could bring something unique to bear on this family. And I pray that as we revisit our vision in this next season that you find that that is the case, that this is the family that you were born for. Let's stand together as we close.